This Holy Week, we are looking at the Passion of Christ through the eyes of three famous artists, not as a part of an academic art course engaging in the history and aesthetics, but rather seeing the spiritual dimensions of each painting and its impact on belief in Jesus Christ. That will mean a different approach, whilst being interested in the social background of a painting, why it came into being, we shall focus on the meaning in terms of drawing closer to the passion of Jesus Christ. So we are intent on finding the deeper meaning of the choice of symbols and signs and trying to read the secrets of the spirit of a work and the scripture it has emerged from. Today we look at El Greco's Agony in the Garden, normally to be seen in London's National Gallery. First, the scripture which inspired El Greco's picture, which is from St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26, verses 36 to 56, Gethsemane. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow, to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you keep watch with me for one hour, he asked. Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping, because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived, and with him a large crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. For when I kiss is the man, arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi and kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of the Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think that I cannot call on my father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels. But how then would the scripture be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion? Did you come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. But it has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. El Greco was born on the island of Crete and grew up there. In 1558, he left Crete for good 
and arrived in Venice where he came under the influence of Titian and Tintoretto, and these were Italian painters of considerable influence in changing the course of Italian art. Less hidebound by conventional styles, they pushed the barriers of painting beyond the traditional known schools of painting and into a lighter touch of brush and paint. There was an immediacy about their work. Colour and movement drove them forward. This was to make an impact on the young El Greco. From Venice, El Greco went to Rome, where he saw the great works of Michelangelo and Leonardo. He was confused with the Renaissance treatment of figures and was arrogant enough to offer to repaint what he saw as indecent figures of the Last Judgment in the Sistine Chapel. This was, not to be surprised, rejected. Eventually, he was to settle in Spain, partly in response to a summons from King Philip II to paint for the Escorial Monastery, and partly by the diversity of culture he found there, which appealed to him and reflected his own background. He painted many of his pictures several times, only slightly changing the format. And it's worth noting that until the 1940s, El Greco was not acceptable in the higher echelons of the art world. There is a marvellous recorded conversation at the National Gallery when the King of Yugoslavia lent El Greco's The Lacoon for an exhibition in 1934. Paul Nash, that excellent British painter, wrote in The Listener the following, which was overheard at the gallery. What's that? It's by El Greco. He was a madman. But would he be here in the National Gallery? Oh, yes, there's another over there on the other side. Someone called Suzanne or something. A modern. All these moderns are mad. I read it in the Morning Post, so don't take any notice. It should be noted that of the three El Grecos, the Agony in the Garden and the Lacoon were next to Suzanne and Monet in a modernist exhibition. So he'd been targeted flat on. And so to the Agony in the Garden before us today. First look at the composition. We see the golden rule of design used again and again. That is a geometric use of the triangular shape as a basis for this picture. So we see Jesus in the garden set within a triangle of colour at the heart of the composition. Look at the Christ figure isolated and backed by whipped calico hill. And you have to realise that in El Greco you are looking at an artist praying with his brush. If Andrea Mantegna painted the human exhaustion and passion of Christ and his disciples in Gethsemane, and Hieronymus Bosch painted the tormentors inflicting human pain on the Christ, by setting the agony in an imaginary garden with suggestions of the natural environment, El Greco is painting the spiritual struggle of Christ to hold on to his will. The cave suggestion behind Christ is almost enveloping him in care. It is as if God had whipped up some material to protect his son. And look at the colour of Christ's robe. It's the purple red of kings and emperors. This is no victim, but victor. Note the left hand of Christ. These hands show the emotion of the figure, and hands are used throughout El Greco's work to denote a sign of submission or blessing. And see Christ's head, which is tilted in a gesture of listening attentiveness, 
and shows a young man in his prime with characteristic eyes of wonder. And there is a very faint halo shape behind his head, suggestive of traditional religious figures, but that is different by showing the neck and position of the eyes. They denote prayer at its deepest. And look at the hands again, sensitive, tilted in compassion, and the purple-red cuff repeats the shapes of the cave in which the disciples sleep. It is a mandala shape, also symbolic of prayer. But notice it is an unclenched fist, open and welcoming, and the figure almost floats in ecstasy as he looks at the angel of the chalice. The three disciples inside this womb shape express exactly what the painter intended. St. Peter on the right is asleep, but in an attitude of thinking still. And the two sons of Zebedee are deep in conversation, attentive to each other, while the right-hand figure bends his ear to listen to the left-hand figure in anything but sleep. Again they are seen floating in a cloud, hovering over the earth, and the whole scene is moving and flying in a night of mystical encounter. It is the world of dreams and mystery, a world where the passion of Christ is given its divine perspective. All is possible, and the human and the divine meet in Christ. Nothing is unusual. It's possible to see angels, disciples, cohorts, clouds and moons in one great vision of God's plan for his world. The technique of fast brushstrokes carries the meaning more effectively. And lurking in the distance on the right-hand edge of the painting come the guards and Judas carrying torches, and they move under the light of a hazy moon, half covered in sorrow for what is to take place in her light. And if you look, they are crossing the book Credron, and the city of Jerusalem can just be seen on the horizon. The group of figures are just suggested as vague shapes, menacing as they weave their way to Christ. Compare this group of figures with the disciples, one concerned with what will happen next, the other group intent on creating havoc on arrival. This very real winged angel holds a cup referred to in scripture as the challenge of God's will. Eloquent and refined, this ethereal figure bridges the gap between heaven and earth. Of course, there is a double play of meaning here, it's the cup of Christ's blood, so represents the cross and death. But it also reflects the cup of the Eucharist, which sustains life. And note the pale blue colour around the angel's head, and in other parts of the sky, representing hope, heaven and light. The angel shape mirrors Christ's shape perfectly, so a double triangle of points of seeing is indicated. And the closeness of the perspective brings the viewer right into the experience of the garden and the drama taking place at its heart. We are involved in the sorrow and passion of Christ by this dynamic piece of painting which arrests us all. May the passion of Jesus Christ envelop us in his sorrow and draw us nearer to his death and resurrection. Let us pray. Keep us, good Lord, under the shadow of your mercy in this time of uncertainty and distress. Sustain and support the anxious and the fearful. Lift us all who are brought low, 
that we may rejoice in your comfort, knowing that nothing can separate us from your love in Christ Jesus our Lord. God of compassion, be close to those who are ill, afraid, or in isolation. In their loneliness be their consolation, in their anxiety be their hope, in their darkness be their light. Through him who suffered alone on the cross, but reigns with you in glory, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. May the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection on Easter Day, bind us to himself, and by our meditation on the agony of Christ by El Greco, may we be drawn closer to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Amen.